built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. This is the great mystery of the gospel. Secondly, ministry. Grand ministry. You know, most of us live our lives with far too little awareness of the realities, the spiritual realities around us. Most of us go through day after day and we seldom feel the impact of the magnitude of what we are caught up in by belonging to Jesus Christ and being a part of His body, the church. And we don't take enough time to meditate on how our jobs, our schools, our home life, our leisure, our relationships, our church involvement, how each of us, how each of these things fit into the cosmic significance of the church. Therefore, our lives often lack the flavour of eternity and the aroma of something ultimate. But the mystery we're talking about is just the beginning. For Paul, it doesn't stop there. Mystery leads to ministry. And what is that ministry? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Who are these principalities and powers? These two terms are found together in two other places in Ephesians. One is in chapter 6, verse 11 to 12. That's the second passage. You're familiar with this? It talks about the whole armour of God. Paul exhorts us to put on the whole armour of God so that we can stand against principalities and powers. Right? So that's one reference to it. Second reference is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. And you, he made alive when you were dead through trespasses and sins in, what, in which you once walked, following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sums of disobedience. The phrase, the prince of the power of the air, is the RSV translation of the very same words, principalities and powers. In other words, the principalities and powers in Ephesians chapter 3 refer to the supernatural host in league with Satan and have a cosmic influence on the cause of world events, people, and even its institutions. These are the beings, these are the creatures to whom the church is to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. So, what is this manifold wisdom of God that we have to demonstrate to the principalities and powers? The wisdom of God is the wisdom that God had to devise this plan of redemption as great as this. The plan to unite both Jews and Gentiles contrary to all human expectations because they were divided, very, very divided. And He did it by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word manifold, manifold is classical Greek and refers to an embroidered tapestry, which can be messy at the back, but beautiful when you look at it from the front. And another translation translates that phrase, manifold wisdom of God, as the wisdom of God in its infinite variety. The, many, the wisdom of God in its infinite variety. So that is what we are supposed to demonstrate. So the wisdom of God is virtually the same as the mystery of Christ revealed Paul. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says, we speak the his hidden wisdom of God in a mystery, which God foreordained before the ages for our glory. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 to 24, he says, we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Christ crucified for the unification and glorification of Jews and non-Jews in the church is the mystery of God and the wisdom of God. Next question. You ask the obvious. How do we do this? We know about mystery. We know about wisdom. We are supposed to demonstrate it to the principalities and powers. How do we demonstrate it to the principalities and powers? When you have a plan, the wisdom of the plan is that it works. Right? If it doesn't work, it's a lousy plan. If it works, it's a good plan. So we demonstrate the wisdom of God by showing in the church, in the church that is working. In the church and through the church that is working. The death of Christ was not in vain. The death of Christ has reconciled us to God. It has broken down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and other races. It has produced one new body and it has given us the hope of His kindness forever. We show the wisdom of God to the cosmic powers by living this way. In unity, in mutual love and support, in not being consumed by petty divisions, in working together in outreach and mission, in supporting and holding up each other. We show the wisdom of God by being the church that Christ died in order to create. So the church, brothers and sisters, is the showcase. It's the showcase of God's mercy. And if we fail to live as joyful beneficiaries of His mercy, and we fail to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we bring a cosmic reproach upon the wisdom of God. In other words, we embarrass Him. Finally, meditation. Mystery, ministry, meditation. Chapter verses 14. Oh, sorry, verses 14 all the way to the end of the chapter. This final part of Paul's prayer reaches its climax. In verse 14, Paul prostrates himself before God on his knees with head bowed to the ground. And he addresses God as Jesus addresses God in the Gospels. Abba, Father. Abba, Father is not only a term of intimacy or closeness. In the Eastern tradition, the Father is the ruler over the whole family. He's the one to whom all questions are directed. All major issues are resolved. So when Jews speak of God as Abba Father, they refer to the fact that He is the boss. He's the boss over the family, the boss over the world, He's the boss over the lives. Verse 14 starts, For this reason, for what reason? You go back to 
chapter 3, verse 1, this is how Paul starts Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason. It was as though Paul began chapter 3, verse 1 with the phrase, for this reason. And then after that, he goes off into a very long tangent of 13 verses. He got so caught up with whatever thoughts he had. Then he comes back in verse 14 to the same thing and goes back to his original train of thought and he says, for this reason, something that he referred to 13 verses before. You know that there are two prayers in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. The first prayer is in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23 that Pastor Kofi spoke on. And that's a prayer for enlightenment. The second prayer is here in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14. And it's a prayer for enabling, enablement. Let me, I put on slide the Eugene Peterson's translation of um, verses 14 to 20. This prayer which Paul spoke. Let me read it to you. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you will be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, His Spirit deeply and gently within us. Wow! What a prayer. What a meditation. You know, it's so rich in content. It's so vast in its scope. It's so encouraging and uplifting in its intention. And it speaks of the resources that we can enjoy when we pray. You know, there are two requests here, this portion of Ephesians chapter 3. First request is in verses 16 to 17. For God's mighty empowering by the Spirit in the inner being in the inner being. This is spelled out not in terms of charismatic gifts, one kind or another, but as Christ dwelling, living in us, making himself completely at home in us through faith so that we will be rooted in love. So that's the first request. The second request comes in verses 18 to 19 and it's a prayer for deep spiritual comprehension in four dimensions. Four dimensions. You know, we learn from geometry, there are only three dimensions that we can draw on paper, right? Here, in Jewish thinking, there are four dimensions. Look at the book of Job, chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. It says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? It is deeper than show. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. 
one of the items on my bucket list is to see the Grand Canyon. I haven't. I know, I know some of you might have. If you Google Grand Canyon, you, you will read in, uh, in, in the Google uh, write-up or in Wikipedia or whatever, that is it's huge. It's 1.5 meter, sorry, 1.5 kilometer deep, almost 30 kilometers at the widest, and almost 450 kilometers long. And apparently, it would take up to 7.5 quadrillion liters of water to fill it. What is 7.5 quadrillion? It's 7.5 with 15 zeros, or a million billion. How long? How wide? How high, how deep. There's more of God's love than there is water in all the rivers in the entire world. That's what uh, Eugene Peterson says. It is the extravagant dimensions of God's love. Or in the words of a hymn, O Hymn, which um, not many of you might be familiar with, but your parents might be, you know, those uh, who belong to the older Mandeka generation and all that. The love of God. A hymn called The Love of God, right? And, and one of the verses which is so wonderful. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. So verse 19 reminds us that knowing the love of Christ, knowing God himself because God is love. You know love, you will know God. If you know God, you will know what is love. And knowing God and knowing God's love surpasses all other forms of knowing. John Calvin, a 16th century Swiss reformer, once said, Today, all sorts of subjects are eagerly pursued. Holding, entrepreneurship, AI, biotechnology, data analytics, human behaviour. But the knowledge of God is neglected. And yet to know God is man's chief end and justifies his existence. Even if a hundred lives were ours, this one aim would be sufficient for them all. Can I invite the musicians to come forward? To invite all of us to just um, quieten ourselves and perhaps bow our heads close our eyes let's uh, reflect on perhaps what the Lord is speaking to all of us this morning what is the application of everything we have spoken about this morning I'd like to bring all of us back to the second M message which is ministry mission you know we have sung this morning in the worship God has done a marvellous thing in our lives think about the many blessings that he has given to us out of his abundant love we are chosen we are predestined we are saved by grace through faith we have received the Holy Spirit as a deposit of our salvation and of the wonderful inheritance he has prepared for us in heaven 